Hello and welcome to the Friendship News Hour presented to you by Bomber Dude Media. Today is August the 10th, 2023. My name is Frank, his name is Alex, and we are joined today by Megumi Oishi. Thanks for being here, Megumi. We really appreciate it. I understand that you are a fencer at Northwestern. Yes. Nice. Go Chicago. That's where I live. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love Chicago. Nice. What's it like being a fencer? Is that how you would say it? A fencer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's amazing. I love it. I think my favorite part about it is that I'm with my team all the time and um, I get to fence there like every single day that I'm there. So I love it. It's a sport I don't know much about. Like, obviously, it's very technical, but like what what is one of your favorite things about fencing? I think, well, there's three weapons in fencing. There's saber, foil, and epee, and I'm saber. And saber happens to be the most aggressive one. And so um, aggressive meaning there's a lot of offense, defense, and there's just a lot of movement on the stage. And so that's what I really like about fencing is that it's very strategic, it's very technical, and it's fast. So I get to like practice um, thinking fast on my feet, which I think is valuable practice. Are your parents fencers? How how does one get into fencing? Yeah, so um, I was a terrible, terrible athlete when I was a kid. Um, My mom actually... There was one point where she just like devastated. She was like, my daughter's never going to be a good athlete. She just can't even like throw a volleyball around. Like she's hopeless. But my mom just put me in a summer camp one summer because she was like, we need to get you into a sport of some kind. And actually I've been fencing for 10 years and my mom has also taken up um, fencing, veteran fencing. So um, fencers, I think ages 40 and up can fence in their own um, age divisions. So my mom is in the veteran 50 um, category and she fences as well. Sweet. How's Northwestern's team? It's wonderful. I I love it so much. We're a Div 1 and... Okay, cool. Is it still like Big 10? Like, do you play other, like go to Ann Arbor to Michigan and Um, all around or how does that work? Yeah, so I think we are a Big 10 school, but we're not, the fencing isn't a part of Big Ten. Okay. Yeah. Separate, yeah. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Obviously into athletics and whatnot and and what we brought you on today is is to kind of, you know, teach us a little bit more and, you know, we're curious, uh, you're an advocate for body image positivity in athletics? Yes. Is that kind of how you fell into that through fencing or is there another story there? It's kind of, random, I guess. It's a mix between fencing and kind of like my school and academic life that kind of led me to this. So fencing in general, unfortunately, like every other sport has a lot of body image issues and just talk around it. I don't know, coaches sometimes will say, oh, well, you know, you're not built to do this. You're not agile enough or things like that. And those little things and comments from coaches or peers can be very impactful and and damaging to a fencer's body image and just overall physical performance as well. And one thing that I think led me to to kind of like observe that is my own experience in fencing as well as my own experiences with body um, image and negativity. I was kind of getting that from both my fencing peers and also my high school peers, which was the most difficult part of it all. And I was struggling with that until junior year of high school when I sat down in my IB biology class and my teacher, she was teaching us um, an anatomy lesson. And she was pointing to all of the different animals and she was saying, all these animals look different and all their bodies are completely different, but all their structures fit their function. And that clicked for me. I was like, oh my God. Mm. So, you know, we all have different body types, but they serve our lifestyles, whether that be athletic or non-athletic, anything. And those are not necessarily better or worse. They just fit our lifestyles. And so that's kind of what 
got me into it and got me researching a lot more about um, the negative impacts of body image or um, negativity and how we can kind of start to repair that within athletics. Have you found a community in your advocacy for, for body positivity, especially with athletes? It's a more widespread issue than I could have ever believed. I knew it was in kind of the background of a lot of sports, but I didn't actually know that it affected a lot of people the way it had me. So actually I had the amazing opportunity to publish an op-ed about this and my personal essay in a magazine within the fencing community. And some younger fencers who are around 12, 13, 14, they came up to me and they were like, thank you so much for publishing this. We we're also really like concerned about all of this and you know it really affects our daily lives and it really means a lot that somebody is advocating for this. So short answer, yes, I have found a really great community of people who are empathetic to that to that issue and have actually experienced it themselves, unfortunately. So um, that's kind of, I think, where we sh- can start to see kind of like advancing towards more body positivity within athletics. My fiance is a, a former uh, ballet dancer, and uh, this was an mm-hmm. issue for for her and I'm sure thousands of other ballet dancers, there was a pointed focus on their physique and it was talked about and it was nitpicked and it it was very specific as to what perhaps her instructor was not happy with, with her physique. And on one hand, I understand the ability for that type of behavior to damage a young person's psyche, right? That, that, Mm -hmm. that goes deep inside you and, and that stays in there and, years after you were playing that in your head. On the other hand, as an athlete, your body is your main vehicle for doing what you're doing. Mm -hmm. There's a function to keeping a physique and to making sure that your body is in the best shape to do whatever it is that you're doing. So how how do you blur the line between body positivity and making sure that your body is also fit for the athletics that you're doing? Absolutely. That's a great question. And I think that's the thing that complicates this issue the most is that there is this notion of, oh, well, this sport just has this certain culture, right? And there's an expectation to be had for the athletes who are participating in it. So right now, what it boils down to, unfortunately, is, you know, whether the sport is the um, the priority or whether the mental health is a priority. And, you know, we would love to go and, you know, start changing, um, you know, that narrative as well of, you know, you can love your sport and be great at it and also, you know, keep your mental health and, you know, everything body image safe. And I think, the best answer that I have for you right now is that it's either going to have to be a shift in priorities, individual priorities. Should I keep doing the sport? Is this really worth, you know, destroying my mental health and my body image and all that kind of stuff um, to pursue this? Or, you know, is this time to change the culture of the sport? So is it time to make, for example, a sport like ballet more body inclusive? Um, Is there more of, you know, like a a field for that? So I think when we think about it in in that kind of scope, that widens inclusivity and that widens the potential for more people to go out and explore their passions rather than limit themselves. That makes any sense. I think on the professional level, we have to become more cognizant of people being, you know, all different shapes and sizes and being more inclusive to that, which I think we'll have to start with just a lot of high exec talks and a lot of like rule 
adjudications and things like that. And so daily conversations, stuff like this is definitely going to advance that. Kind of a tough question, but do you think like there's a line at which like being too body positive is, could be like harmful or dangerous? Like Lizzo in the news a lot lately, but a lot of people I know, like when she first came out, were kind of bashing her, you know, saying like it's it's not great to promote that lifestyle because it leads to, you know, obesity, you know, right. attacks on the healthcare system when mm-hmm. those people get older or whatever. Mm-hmm. Is is there a line at all to you or, or a way to like navigate that stereotype, that stigma kind of surrounding it? That is, that is a difficult question. Um, absolutely. I think there's a difference between being comfortable in oneself and also striving towards health. So promoting body positivity, saying, I like the way that I am right now. And at once, you know, simultaneously saying, you know, I would also like to eat these healthy foods and go to the gym and things like that. That's also promoting positivity um, in a Mm -hmm. sense. And so those in conjunction with each other, I think are very healthy and and wonderful. And I think a lot of artists and influences out there are are very much, you know, kind of merging those two segments of, hey, I want to be healthy, but I also love myself right now. That kind of self-acceptance, I think, is the, you know, blurry, but also comfortable line that is, is where, you know, body positivity can be absolutely healthy. Sure. Yeah. And then like scholastically, so what do you go to Northwestern for? So I am doing English pre-law and um, I'm doing English major and legal studies minor. So this is really your support of this, your advocacy for this is is really like a passion project. It's, it's, yeah, I'm sure you're using all those skills you're learning. It's a great institution, but this is, this is just something that you're passionate about and and want to make sure you you get more awareness to then, huh? Absolutely. Um, I think this is where my passions for both law and um, sports come in because there has been recently a lot of incidents where athletes are being, you know, kind of abused or just mistreated in certain ways. And that, you know, doesn't have to just be body negativity and things like that, but also things, um, you know, outside of that, like abuse. That kind of thing is becoming a lot more, you know, open in the media and being pursued by law and laws around that are starting to change. And I think that's mm-hmm. something that I'm very interested in, would love to pursue in my career someday. So what's next? Is there is there a, a strategy to, to how you're going to pursue this or are you just going to kind of take it as it comes? Yeah, so I think the thing that I have been striving to do is to start small. So starting the conversations, I think, is one of the most important things. I think um, when talking about any issue, it's really easy these days to kind of blow up an issue and be like, you know, we're going to tackle this head on. But no, I think it has to start within a small community and then advance the issue and advance like the the conversations of the issue um, a lot more steadily instead of kind of like trying to take it on all all at once. So what I've been doing is I've been um, reaching out to podcasts. I've been reaching out to the fencing community and saying, hey, can I present about this topic, even if it's not like technical research or founded in any sort of like science, it's still a conversation, you know, it's still saying, hey, we love this sport and we love athletics and we love what it does for us. But this is also something healthy that, um, you know, we should be talking about. We can love a sport and love something, but also recognize that there are, um, you know, fundamental problems within this 
So to answer your question, yeah, I'm, I'm taking things one step at a time and making sure that I'm advancing the conversation little by little and so that everybody is included, which is ultimately what I'd want to accomplish. I was just going to say, I mean, this is not a conversation that I think we would have had on our own. And so I, I, I appreciate you, you know, bringing it up. I think when any, any regular person hears body positivity in general, you know, maybe one eyebrow raises like, hmm, what are you talking about? And then when you talk about with, within athletics, it's kind of like, well, that's athletics, right? Like that's where I would draw the line because athletics is your body. Your body is athletics. So body positivity has no room. And what I'm hearing from you is that, no, like that's not true at all. There, there's actually room for everybody. And even if it means that you're not at the like upper echelon of the sport that you're participating in, doesn't mean that you can't also be a participant in the sport and that you can't also have room within the sport that you want to play just because, you know, shape, size, physique, what have you. I, I do have a question though within that. Do you see as you're having these conversations and, and you, you mentioned you wrote the, this op-ed and, and the response to that, is it predominantly a female response? Mm, yes. Okay. The story I'm telling myself is that this wouldn't fly as I'm, I'm thinking about like uh, a team of uh, boys playing baseball, right? Or football or something like that. Mm -hmm. I still have a hard time thinking that there's room for this conversation within that. Not that there, not that the conversation shouldn't or, or, or mm -hmm. shouldn't be had, but but the story I'm telling myself is that this is mm -hmm. more of a, a response for women and, and, and you think that's correct? I think to kind of quote off of something that I learned in school, we learned about um, Judith Butler's concept of grievability and grievability in terms of society. And so grievability in definition would be something like people who are kind of their stories have been uplifted and they're a lot more like, you know, something happens, there's public grievance. It's like, oh, no, we feel sorry for you. And right now, thankfully, women are being uplifted and there's a lot of public grievability about them because there's a lot of um, history of oppression and, you know, body negativity and things like that. And so things are becoming a lot more positive and progressive towards those people. So it's easier for women to have those conversations and it's much more easy for them to be open and it's easy to find. However, I will say that men or male athletes also do experience it and it's just as real as um, female athletes experience. For example, I um, was looking at a study where um, they researched um, male weightlifters and these male weightlifters were obsessing about their weight and their food just as much as somebody with anorexia would. So they called it reverse anorexia nervosa. So mm -hmm. this was them, you know, either eating a whole bunch and, you know, purging or, you know, feeling badly about their body and checking their weight every single day. And it really got to their heads. And, um, you know, that left very little room for um, any other kind of productive thought. So my long, that was my long answer. But the short answer <laughs> to you is that male athletes do experience it. It's just harder to have those conversations, I think, with the whole masculine gender um, expectations that are placed upon men as well. And I think it's absolutely valid to say that um, it is difficult for men to speak up about this. Yeah, I was going to say, like, it, it makes me think of like wrestling back in high school in the day. Mm -hmm. Like those, those the things that the coaches ask of you to do are, are ridiculous. And, yeah. and in, in any sport, it, it definitely I, I definitely think it's a thing as a young fat kid that I was and kind of still am, but like you couldn't do certain things when you're young. Like you couldn't run the ball, you know, you, I always had to play line. It's like you're stuck there and maybe guys handle that a little bit better in the moment or learn how to like 
bury that deep within them. Right. But I think like as we all learn about more about mental health, like we're I think you'll you're seeing more and more of those long term effects of what bearing that kind of does, whatever that feeling is, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Are you doing any events right now that are like at your fencing tournaments, like any kind of like a table set up just to kind of like spread the word or, you know, inform more people about this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I recently presented at um, the U.S. Fencing Summer Nationals in Phoenix, Arizona. And um, I had about, I had like a little conference room to myself and I just presented about my topic and about, I want to say like 10 people showed up, but one of them or two of them were young girls and, mm-hmm. you know, they were listening very intently to the entire thing. And it's, it's things like that, you know, it can start with one, two people that run home to their mom and say, Hey, I heard about this presentation. Isn't this so cool? And then that's how the word spreads, you know? So sure. I don't really mind at this point, whether it's, you know, one person or a thousand people. Yeah. I mean, you never know that mom could be tied in with an athlete that, you know, would want to like, take you and elevate them on your platform and it could always yeah it could always snowball to something much much bigger very quickly for you yeah absolutely yeah it's fascinating you're talking about those bodybuilders even though even though like i i would say it's you know probably if you're going to obsess about your body as a bodybuilder it's probably not the worst way to obsess about your body but also you're at the end of the day, you're still obsessing about your body. And I got to imagine the, mm-hmm. the psychological effects on that. It, it, similar to somebody who's obsessing about their body who wants to be like razor thin or thinks that they're fat because they're five pounds overweight. Or for example, if their coach had made some, you know, off the cuff remark about their physique and now they're obsessing about that as well. I got to imagine that those that psychological effect on that has a similar is a similar trajectory even if it, even if it's something that you might consider as like I guess healthy uh, as as bodybuilding, right? You're still obsessing over what your body looks like. That that's I've never thought of it that way. It's fascinating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think for everything, especially in athletics, taking everything to an extreme is the thing that is very, you know, dangerous. So for, I want to say like lean sport female athletes. So I'm thinking of like track or, you know, sports like that, or if it's like male weightlifting, things like that, that if you take those to extremes, like binge eating or purging eating, things like that, those are completely on two separate sides of the ends of the um, spectrum, but they're still extremes. And they're still things that I think, when we're talking about this, we can talk about identity as well. Your identity as an athlete, you know, follows you everywhere and you're an athlete everywhere you go. But then, you know, your eating habits and the way you look overshadows that identity of you as an athlete. And then you just, you feel as though that's not enough and you can't be proud of what you do and you can't, and that snowballs into not being proud of your accomplishments feeling, you know, down on yourself when you don't get those results, because ultimately that's what we're, we're going for in athletics, right? Results. And when we don't get them, it can be really hard to, to come back from that if you're having, um, you know, body image issues. So that is definitely um, something that is really dangerous in sports. Yeah, I, I love I love the, the conversation um, around around awareness here, you know, that um, I think you mentioned it earlier in, in the conversation. But, you know, if you do want to pursue this, 
above all else, then you should be aware that there's going to be, uh, you know, this sort of animosity, right? Like things you can't control uh, that they're going to affect you negatively, like somebody, uh, you know, poking at your physique or, or, you know, tearing your body down or making comments as adds their way to help you, uh, you know, no matter how misguided it might be, help you on your way to the top, right? But if you don't want that, then there's still an avenue for you to participate without having to feel terrible about yourself. I don't know. I, I was not expecting to have this type of conversation today. I, I really, I, I didn't know what I was expecting to have, but no, this has been eye-opening, definitely. Oh, great. Would you say like the onus then, like going forward, like I guess at a grassroots level, like is it on coaches? I mean, it's probably hard to tell young kids not to be young kids. Like they're just kind of mean or whatever. Hopefully that changes more and more as parenting improves and people are more aware of things. But mm-hmm. is the onus like on, on coaches to, to foster this and, and grow this? Who who do you look to to like really affect change you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think that is a multifaceted question. Um, I'm going to answer in terms of like fencing from what I, I've seen in my sport. Um, it definitely is. Some of it is on the coaches to learn how to have productive conversations instead of, you know, inimical derisive ones. And so, you know, that would be things like training the technique rather than being like, you need to be skinnier or mm-hmm. you be like, you know, a certain body type and not favoring certain people, like giving private lessons to skinnier kids or things like that. Like we need to, we need to stop doing that. And then I think also uh, parents and family play a huge role in affecting how an athlete sees their nutrition and their body and things like that. And so if a parent is pushing harmful habits upon an athlete, that can also be horribly harmful to their mental health. But at the same time, you know, on the flip side of that, if the parent is cognizant of their child's eating and things like that and saying, well, food, you know, you should have a good um, relationship with food and food is what is going to fuel you, then that's a whole different thing that is that can be healthy and wonderful. Um, so to answer your question, yes, I think it's definitely coaches. And um, what I want to say as semi-authoritative figures have a huge influence on athletes' lives. And we need to really dive into that to see um, what influence they really do have and how we can um, positively use that. Absolutely. Absolutely. As a Chicagoan, I do have to ask you this question mm-hmm. before we let you go. Go. favorite pizza place oh gosh i don't remember <laughs> the name i do not remember the name but um there is a great deep dish pizza place and i went there when i was touring the college and i was mm. like this is amazing i it's will soldier. never have a normal pizza ever again <laughs> this is wonderful yeah um, i'm yeah. a i'm a lou malnati's fan myself I know okay. it's, it's a very divisive topic in Chicago because people love their Giordano's or their Uno's. Oh, yeah, all it's these Giordano's. Yeah. Giordano's? Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. It's great. It's great. My That's my wife's favorite. We argue about it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> no, I loved it so much. It, it's practically one of the, you know, factors that made me choose Northwestern. So. <laughs> nice. That's yeah. awesome. Are, are you, so are you from Chicago or no? No, no. I'm from Portland, Oregon. Oh, very cool. I was just out there this a couple months ago. It's oh, beautiful really? in the Pacific Northwest. Oh, I love it you. up there. Yeah, yeah, I love it too. Um, but we just get too much rain, so I need yeah. to get out. <laughs> now, do you anticipate once you graduate that you'll you'll leave Chicago? Is there somewhere you have your sights set on, the place you'd like to go work or yeah. you know, keep with this going? I think one of the things that's making me um, 
want to stay more in the Chicago or the larger city area is law school. So mm -hmm. I would love to attend a larger law school. Um, Pacific Northwest is amazing and it offers a bunch of really good specialized colleges, but I think greater cities and urban cities have more more options that way. Sure. Well, best of luck to you. I, I hope that that goes as well as it can. That's, Thank you that's so awesome. much. Yeah, I'm definitely keeping my options open. You still got a lot of school ahead of you, though. I'm not jealous of that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm very excited. No matter where it takes me, I would love to. I would love to go to school anywhere. So, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, for our listeners, like, where can they find uh, the op-ed you wrote, or and, and you know, any more information on on what you're fighting for here? Absolutely. So, um, uh, I have an Instagram called the Athlete Narrative. So that is on Instagram, and there's a lot of links on there um, that will take you to the op-ed, take you to my website, um, and all of the causes that I have coming up. So, yeah. Just want to thank you for taking the time to make us more aware of this. It's just great to have a, a new perspective and, and you know, learn a bunch of stuff. This was great. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, you guys.